Well, good morning, and once again, welcome to our service of worship here at the First Church in New Knoxville. We're so glad you've decided to join us for worship this morning, whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching online. If you're able, I invite you to stand with us as we say our call to worship this morning, which is from Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not sell, set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they've done. If you're able, I invite you to remain standing as we worship the Lord together through song. Be my rock and my shelter, be my rock and my fortress, be my rock.
rock in our fortress it's only by him take a look at verse 4 again when he comes back for us we are dressed in his righteousness alone it's only by him not by any works we do but only by the blood of Jesus that we can stand before the throne and worship stand before the throne and love our ship worship Jesus Oh uh-huh. 
11. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 5, 8. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Yeah.
that if you were high and lifted up, that you would draw all men unto you. The love that you have for us, Lord, is beyond all measure. We cannot comprehend it. You are worthy of it all. You are so worthy of it all that you would suffer and die for us to make the ultimate sacrifice that we could come into the presence of your Father, that you wanted that so much for us to experience the love of your Father, obedient unto even death, Lord. May we be found clothed in your righteousness, your righteousness. We thank you and we praise you for this family of God that has come together collectively. We thank you that praise is arising from this earth 24-7 all around the world. That your believers, your children are coming to you and saying, thank you, Father. You are worthy of it all. Lord, you know, you know our needs. You know that we are just like grass. We can be blown away in the midst of any storm. But if you are our rock, our solid foundation, Lord, everything else is sinking sand. But you are there. Draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to you. Transforming us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us. Show us how to draw more and more to you. Teach us. Reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you provide everything for us. You've even provided a way and taught us as a model of how to pray to you, Lord God. And we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive those. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. You may be seated. This time we're excited to have another mission moment. If you've been here with us the last few weeks, we've had a few of these recently, and this one's a little unique. Uh, we're going to hear today from one of our own church members, Erica Bashong, and she's going to tell us about what God's been doing in her life recently and how he has led her to be involved in the Auglaize County Family Life Center. So Erica, we're really excited to hear from you today. Um, and it was, in fact, it was your idea to be here this morning because today is, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday as well. So what a great opportunity for us to hear from Erica and the work that she's doing with the Auglaize County Family Life Center on Sanctity of Life Sunday. So Erica, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, and uh, bear with me if you don't mind. Um, So I am Erica Bashan. I sit two rows behind the piano in case you needed to put a pew with a face. Um, (laughs) So um, my husband and I, Nick, we um, our journey to start a family was kind of long. I don't know. Some of you might know some of the story. We had seven years of infertility. We had several rounds of um, fertility treatments, and uh, a couple losses along the way. So getting pregnant and staying pregnant and being a parent has been one of the toughest yet most redeeming journeys in my life. Hmm. Um, I was 13 weeks pregnant when I miscarried our first son, and I still remember laying eyes on him for the very first time. He was perfect. He was fit in the palm of my hand, and he had... Ten toes and ten fingers and his little earlobes. 
And I just remember in that moment thinking, God's attention to detail of something that was so small and something I, you know, I knew I was pregnant, obviously, but I didn't know all the care he took into creating that little child. And I didn't know it then because I was grieving. But looking back, I see how God was aligning my heart with his. And um, so back in October, my friend Hannah, balcony, four o'clock, um, <laughs> invited me to a fall banquet for the Family Life Center of Augley's County. Of course, I was excited to go. Um, I had been asking God to give me his heart um, for the unborn, and I just kind of thought, well, this is, this is, my, this is my chance. So um, I was excited to hear about the testimonies of the center and what they were doing for the community, and I knew I wanted to get involved. Then they announced that they were looking for a development director, and I knew I wanted to get involved, but maybe not that much. Um, but God's ways are higher than mine, and here I am. Uh, like Pastor Joel said, um, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and about 40 years ago, actually exactly 40 years ago, Ronald Reagan designated the third Sunday of January as Sanctity of Human Life Day, and he stated that abortion is stripping the humans of their very first right, their right to life. He called upon the church to reaffirm their commitments to dignity of every human being and the sanctity of every human life. So that's exactly what I'd like to do today as a church. Um, I'd like to give us a chance to reaffirm that, um, that what, what God places value on, we also do. And we will protect those, 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 chi- those children. Um, as of right now, uh, the Family Life Center is the only pregnancy center in Auglaise County. And all the services we provide are free. So we have free um, pregnancy and STD testing. We have free limited ultrasounds, free counseling, Bible studies, free life skills, um, and parenting classes. And this is really exciting because just recently um, we actually offer the abortion pill reversal for free. So um, that is, if you don't know that that's even out there, please do some research. Just knowing that there's a pill out there that someone can reverse the effects of the abortion pill can save lives. Um, since Roe v. Roe v. Wade, over 63 million abortions have taken place in the U.S. alone. One in four women have had at least one abortion in their lifetime. This is a really big one. Ready? 83% of women said, who have had abortions said that if they would have carried their baby to full term, if they had just had one person in their life tell them that they could do it. I don't know about you, but I want to be that person for someone. Church, we need to be bold in speaking the truth and shine light onto the darkness that is abortion. But as much as we need to be bold in our speaking, we need to be bold in our actions by showing women that we can support them all along the way, that we can provide for them physically, but also provide for them spiritually. We can offer them hope himself. Pastor Joel often talks about how we are called to love from womb to tomb. And I'm going to take it one step farther and say that we have a Savior that came from a womb who emptied the tomb and that we might be forgiven and live forever with him. He conquered fear, shame, and death so we could have forgiveness and eternal life. So how can you support us? How can you um, come alongside this mission? Our financials, your financial support helps us keep all of our services free to our clients. Um, We also accept donations of diapers, wipes, and gently used baby clothes and essentials to our baby boutique. It's in downtown Wapak. Um, Most importantly, you can pray. Pray that the spirit of death in this country would be overcome in in Jesus' name. 
that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us in our conversations and interactions with the mothers, fathers, and babies, that they would be saved, and that God would get all the glory. Thank you. Well, thank you, Erica, for your willingness to share what God's been doing in your life, and what a powerful testimony that you just offered up for us to hear. I just want to reiterate something that Erica said, and and it's so important that we are able to support ministries like the Family Life Center of Ogles County. Uh, We support a variety of others uh, in our surrounding areas through our designated offerings, Uh, but this is the one that's right in our backyard, right here in Ogles County, that we can support and that does a lot of good. Um, and, And so I want to encourage you to think about and to pray about how you can support them. Prayerfully, of course, you know, that's a uh, uh, prayer is a, a, such an important uh, and powerful way to support ministries, uh, but also consider how you may support them financially. I want to encourage you to, to think about that. And if anybody does have any questions or, or interest in how they can do that, I'm sure Erica would be more than happy to talk to you about that. So let's take a moment. Let's pray for Erica in this ministry. Uh, so I invite you to pray with me together. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much uh, for the work that the Family Life Center of Ogles County is doing. We thank you that they are standing firmly uh, for life, and and especially, Lord, for the life of those unborn children. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would provide for them uh, materially, financially, so they can continue the good work that they do. Um, And I pray, Lord God, that you would bring people to them, uh, volunteers to help, but also people who are in need, young women and families, uh, that, that feel like they may not have anywhere else to turn, I pray that they would be able to go there and, and um, find the help that they need and be provided for. Um, Lord God, I pray for Erica as well. I thank you for her faith and in stepping into this role. And I do pray, Lord God, that you would uh, provide for her uh, spiritually, Lord, encourage her, give her boldness, just as we witnessed here today, to continue to stand firmly for life and to point people, uh, Lord, not just to the the, the help that they can receive here and now, but the eternal hope that they can have in you. Um, we thank you for all these things and pray them now in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, thanks, Erica. At this time, I want to invite our children forward for children's chat. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. That's good. Did you all enjoy your day off on Friday? Yeah. Who all said a prayer before they went to bed on Thursday night that there would be at least a two-hour delay on Friday? Where are my teacher friends? We all did. And it worked this time. Not always, but this time it did. All right. So, anybody know who this is? It is an elephant. And the elephant's name is Horton. Have you ever heard of the story, Horton Hears a Who? Have you ever heard of Dr. Seuss? Yes. Dr. Seuss wrote a book called Horton Hears a Who. And Horton is an elephant. And one day, Horton is out and about, and he is in a splashing around in a cool pond, and he heard a small voice calling for help. And he looked around, but he couldn't see anything. All he saw was this tiny little speck of dust floating through the air. And Horton realized there was someone on that speck of dust. 
Are you using your imagination? Because that's the only way this is going to work. Okay? As it turned out, there were a whole town of people that lived on that little speck of dust. Okay? And they were afraid that the speck of dust was going to fall into that pool of water and that they were going to drown. And even though they were so small that he couldn't even see them, Horton made up his mind that he was going to help them. After all, he said, a person is a person no matter how small. How appropriate for that to come up today as we listen to Erica speak. That is a God thing. All right, so all the other animals in the jungle thought Horton was crazy. Okay? But no other animal in the forest, in the jungle, was going to help these little, this community of people that lived on a speck of dust. But Horton was going to help no matter what. And that brings us to our Bible story today. Okay? So, for you young people, this is called a flannel board. Okay? And it helps us to tell a story. Okay? So, our story today comes from the Gospel of Luke. Once, there was a man walking down the street, down the road. Okay? And coming up from behind were some bad guys, some robbers. Okay? And they beat him up, and they took his clothes, and they left him there along the side of the road. Okay? So, he's beat up. He's hurt. He has no clothes, well, very little clothes on. Okay? He can't get up. What's he going to do? Okay? He has to wait on somebody to come and help him. Well, before long, he hears footsteps. And along comes a man, a priest, and this man is thinking, oh, I hope he stops and helps me. Oh, I hope he stops and helps me. But you know what he did? He crossed the road and he pretended like he didn't see him. He just kept on trucking. Okay? A little while later, he heard someone else coming along. And this man was a Levite. And he thought, oh, man, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I need somebody to help me. Did the Levi stop to help him? Nope. He did the same thing the priest did. He ignored him. He pretended like he wasn't there. Well, along came a man from another country, the region called Samaria, And he had a donkey with him, and he came along, and guess what he did? He stopped and helped him. He put the injured man on his donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he stayed with him that night. And he cleaned his wounds, and he got him something to eat and something to drink. And he paid the innkeeper to take care of him until he was well enough to go on his own. Okay, and so our story today tells us that, thank you, that we need to be that person 
We need to be the person that stops and helps others in need. And maybe we just stop and say a prayer. Maybe we offer them a smile. Maybe we actually help them. But that's what is important today that we remember. We need to be the person that helps someone else. Okay? Be the helpful person. Okay? Like maybe there's somebody sitting on the buddy bench at recess. Go sit by them and talk to them and be their friend. All right, so let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these children and their eager minds to learn about you. Thank you for their parents that know the importance of bringing them to church and exposing them to this and letting us love on them and help them to learn. Show us how to be that neighbor today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back. As our choir comes forward for our offertory this morning, I just want to point out that the offering today does go towards the Auglaise County Group Home and the Auglaise County Crisis Center. So any gifts that you give in the offering plate this morning that aren't designated for another purpose will go towards those important ministries. Let's take a moment and let's pray to God, thanking him for the opportunity to give back and asking for his blessing upon this. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to give back to you in this way. Lord God, so often we are able as a church to look beyond ourselves and look into the community and see areas of need. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would be able to do that today. I pray you bless this offering so that it may uh, go to support Uh, the services that are provided by the Auglaise County Group Home and the Auglaise County Crisis Center. And may you use it, Lord, uh, to bless those who are in need. We pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering.
If you could remain standing for our gospel reading this morning, taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. In your pew Bible, that would be page 1040. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite who had came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. You may be seated. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word now. Lord God, you are the one who inspired these words, um, and you are the one who helps us to understand it. So I pray your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today, and may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As most of you know, I grew up in western New York, was born, raised there, graduated from high school there before going off to college and eventually finding my way here to New Knoxville. Um, And so you can imagine uh, I've been quite interested in the weather around the Buffalo Bills Stadium these past couple weeks, right? And I'm sure some of you have seen the lake effect snow that had just gotten dumped in that area. Uh, And over the past couple weeks, the the Bills have recruited uh, community members to come in and help shovel out the stadium in order to get these uh, the, the seats and the stands ready for these playoff games. Um, what most of you maybe don't know is that Buffalo has a nickname. It's called the City of Good Neighbors. And this is just one example of how uh, people in the community have learned to just care for one another and bail one another out. And of course, it's more than just a football game in a football stadium. Uh, but, but over the por- course of the past couple of years, uh, with the snow that has hit them and the, especially the very dangerous conditions that have arisen from that, I've heard stories over and over again of people that have helped out their neighbors, that have gone the extra mile in order to help people who are in need. You know, Buffalo, in one sense, has certainly earned that reputation and 
and with what's going on with the weather and the football playoffs, um, it's kind of been seen on a national longer Ohio football teams in the playoffs anymore. So if anybody needs a, a team to cheer for, um, the bandwagon for the Bills is wide open. You can come and root for us tonight as we play the Chiefs. So just throwing that out there for you. But the reason I bring that up here today is because uh, the passage we're looking at is, is one of Jesus' most well-known parables, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and this passage uh, teaches us how to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, and, and what we see here from what, how Jesus tells this story is that our love for our neighbor is an extension of or is an overflow of our love for God. We've been talking these last couple weeks about being one in Christ. And we've talked about how our identity is as children of God. And, and last week we talked about how we are united in our belief about the, the gospel message that Jesus died and rose again for us. Today we're going to talk about how, what it means to be united in our love for the community. And that's an important characteristic for us, right? Because on multiple occasions in the gospels, this question is uh, a, a question, a similar question is proposed to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? Or, or put in a different perspective, uh, somebody once asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And on all of these occasions, the same theme comes up, that it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, those two things go hand in hand. And so in this occasion, an expert in the law comes up to Jesus and, and he's trying to test him. He's trying to, and he even says he's trying to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus this important question. If we're honest ourselves, it's a question we all need to wrestle with, isn't it? How do I inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a question that should be at the forefront for all of us, right? What does it mean for us to be saved? What does it mean for us to experience eternal life? And so Jesus, like he often does, turns the question back on the expert in the law because being an expert in the law, he should know the right answer. And in fact, he does. He's the one who says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, just as Jesus had on other occasions that are, that are documented in Matthew and Mark. And so Jesus tells him, you got the right answer. Now go and do it, right? Go and do likewise. You see, these two things are, are so connected that you can't separate them. Love for God and love for others. It's impossible to have one without the other. In 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, that passage makes it explicitly clear for us that it is impossible to claim to love God and yet not also love our neighbor. They go hand in hand. To love God and not love our neighbor is to have an empty, cold faith, right? If we claim to love God, yet have no love for each other or for our neighbors who are in need, then we must question if our love for God is truly authentic or not. But the opposite can be just as, as damaging too. It's, 
We, we certainly don't want to go so far to the extreme that we have love for neighbor but neglect our love for God. That does us no good either. That, meets, that perhaps meets people's material or temporal needs, but it does nothing for their eternal needs, which is to know God and to love him for themselves. And so we have to hold both of those things in hand, love for God and love for neighbor. But it's not enough to just know the right answer. We also have to live it out. That's why Jesus tells him to go and do it, right? This man knew the right answer, and he was trying to justify himself. I, I imagine it's like a student in a classroom who just wants to know what the bare minimum requirements are to pass the class, right? He just wants to know, what can I do to skate by? What is the bare minimum that is required of me? That's why he goes on to ask Jesus, who then is my neighbor, right? He wants to justify his own actions. He's not necessarily interested in changing himself to be more in line with God. He just wants to make sure he's doing enough to get by. Many of us know the right answer, don't we? But we, need to, we also need to put it into practice. It's like healthy eating habits, right? We all know that it's good to eat healthy, right? That we should eat more fruits and vegetables, less desserts. But yet, we, even if we know the right answer, it's sometimes hard to put that into practice, especially coming off the holidays, right? So we may, we may know the right answer, but yet we still have to take that step to put into practice for it to make an impact in our lives. So Jesus here reminds us that our orthodoxy leads to, or should lead to orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right beliefs. It's, it's correct beliefs or correct understanding of who God is. In orthopraxy, you can hear that word praxis, it's, it's the right practice. It's the right living and so our orthodoxy, our belief in who God is and what he's done for us must then lead to a changed life. It must lead to action. It's not our actions that save us, right? We need to be clear on that. It's not our ability to help other people that earns us eternal life. But if we truly love God and if we truly understand who he is and if we have experienced his salvation, it should lead to action. And so our love for others flows from our love for God. Second, our love for others is possible when we see people as Jesus does. Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan, right? It starts off with a man who is uh, robbed and beaten and left for dead on the road to Jericho. This road was notoriously dangerous. It was like walking through a bad neighborhood. Right? It was a 17-mile stretch of road. It descended from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho, a descent of about 3,000 feet. And it was lined with caves where thieves and robbers would often wait and ambush solitary travelers. It was a dangerous road. And this man was, fell victim to the robbers. But the focus of the story is, of course, not on the man. It's on the three people who pass him by. First, you have these this priest, this Levite, these were people who worked in their temple. Their whole job, their life was based around following the law and helping other people to do that as well. Yet when they see this man left for dead on the side of the road, they pass by and go on the other side. Now, the priests and Levites probably had a good excuse as to why they did that, right? There were ceremonial laws in place about who was able to work in the temple, 
And so one of the main rules was that people who worked in the temple, like priests and Levites, were not allowed to come in contact with dead bodies or bodily fluids like blood. And so in one sense, right, in one sense, they were just doing what they were supposed to do. They were following the law by avoiding this person who was in need. And yet we know from Jesus' teaching that that was not the right way to approach the situation. And Jesus gives us the example of healing on the Sabbath multiple times in the Gospels to prove this point. Over and over again, Jesus would see someone in need on the Sabbath and would heal them, and the religious leaders got ticked off, right? They got mad at Jesus for doing that. And yet Jesus proves in, in their stories in both Luke 13 and Luke 14 where this happens. The religious leaders oppose Jesus, and Jesus proves the point. He says, pit on the Sabbath. You'll pull your sheep or your oxen out of a pit in order to save them. Why won't you help a person who's in need? It is right to do good on the Sabbath. Romans 13 reinforces that. It says that love is the fulfillment of the law because love does no harm. See, it's easy to make excuses why we can't help people, isn't it? It's easy to come up with a reason why we can't help that person in need that we just saw. And we are always going to have an excuse if we let ourselves come up with one. But we cannot let our excuses get in the way of our ability to help. Instead, we need to see people the way that Jesus sees them. What's the difference between the, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan? Well, first of all, the Samaritan was supposed to be the bad guy in the story. And I, I, I won't go into detail. We don't have the time to do that today. But, but just know that the priests and the Levites were supposed to be the good guys. The Samaritan was the typical bad guy, right? They were the, the people that had differences uh, ethnically and religiously with the Jews. And so they would even go so far out of their way just to avoid contact with them. So to see the Samaritan in the place of the good guy was shocking and and, uh, and turn the, st- the expectations on their head. But what's, what is the difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan in the story? The priest and Levite saw the man in need and they passed by. The Samaritan saw the person in need and Scripture says it took, that he took pity on him. That word took pity is really important. It could also be translated compa- to have compassion for someone. And in almost every other use of this word in the New Testament, it's used of the way that Jesus looked at the lost and the hurting that he encountered in the Gospels. It was used for people who were, who were, who were injured or sick and, and Jesus was about to heal them. It was used for the, the crowds that, that gathered and had no food. It says that Jesus had compassion on them and told his disciples to provide for them. It's used when Jesus looks out at the crowd and sees people who are spiritually lost. And like a good shepherd, he just wants to bring them back home. That's the kind of compassion and pity that the Samaritan had on this man. And that's what drove him to help. You see, if we want to, have, if we want to help those in need, if we want to have love for our neighbors, we need to start seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. We need to see people who are in need and do something about it. Erica, thank you so much for sharing what you did today. And I think what you shared this morning about your work with the Family Life Center is a perfect example of what that looks like. It's seeing people in need and being willing to do something about it. 
seeing the unborn through the eyes of Jesus and a desire to help. So we have to ask ourselves, how, who are the people that are in need in our community? How can we see them through the eyes of Jesus? We must have compassion. We need to take pity. See, the, the expert in the law, he wanted to divide people up into my neighbor and not my neighbor, right? He wanted to know where the limit was so he could do the bare minimum. But that's not how Jesus answers the question, right? The, 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 Jesus' response to who is my neighbor is a story that proves that our neighbor is anybody that we come in contact with that needs help. Anybody that we see through the eyes of Jesus. And love for others, then, must also be sacrificial. Again, the Samaritan didn't just see the need and pass on by, but he went to him. See, it's not just enough to see the need or to see the problem, but we also need to go and do something about it. Plenty of us see problems all around us, and we even perhaps identify what we see as the cause of it. But few people are willing to see a problem and to get their hands dirty and to do something about it. Matthew 25 reminds us that when we see people in need and we do something about it, it's like we're serving Jesus himself. He tells this parable about dividing up the sheep and the goats, right? And the, the goats are the people who did not help Jesus and the sheep are the people who did. And both of them have the same, same question. When did we see you in need? And Jesus says, whatever you do for these brothers of mine, you do for me. See, that's what we need to remember. When we see people in need and we help them, we are helping Jesus. It's like we are serving him. It's an act of worship. And love costs us something, doesn't it? It costs the Samaritan time and effort and resources. Two denarii were, were two days' wages. And then he even offers to reimburse the innkeeper even more. It took him time to bandage this, this, this man's wounds and to bring him to the inn. It cost him something. See, real Christ-like love is sacrificial. So Jesus turns this question back on the expert again. Again, Jesus does not just give easy answers, right? He gets right to the heart of the matter. That first question, who is my neighbor, limits our responsibility. It's looking at the very bare minimum that's required of us. But notice how Jesus responds in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The question isn't, who is my neighbor anymore? The question is, how can you be a neighbor to someone else? And that's a very different question. And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. How can we be a neighbor to the people we encounter every day? Whether it's our actual physical neighbors that live in our next door to us, or whether it's the people we interact with at work, or we see at the grocery store, or we pass by on the street. We need to ask ourselves, how can I be a neighbor to those people in need? And it begins with seeing them through the eyes that Jesus 
has for them and being willing to go and do something about it, to have compassion and to show mercy. Because the truth is, that's exactly what Jesus did for us, isn't it? We are the person beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus is the one who comes along, sees our need, and he does something about it. Jesus has compassion on us, not because of our physical need, but because of our spiritual need. We are lost and dead without him. And yet Jesus sees our need. He has compassion for us. And he gave everything in order to rescue us. Not just a couple days worth of money. Jesus gave his very life to rescue us from our sin. Jesus gives us the perfect example of what love for our neighbors looks like. And then he tells his disciples, he tells us to go and do likewise. Let's do that together. Father God, we thank you for the love that you have shown us through Christ. Lord, I ask that you would enable us to love others the way that you love us, that our love for our community would be an overflow of our love for you and our desire to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give us, Lord, the grace and the ability to to do that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I encourage you to stand and sing our closing song with us. If someone would like to pray, I'll be happy to pray with you up here at the front pew.
Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.